Hey, good morning, RCC. Uh, if we have never met, my name is Gavin, and uh, I'm so glad to be here. What a beautiful weekend that Paul invited me down. Um, I left the hotel this morning, it was already 113, so <laughs> very exciting to be here. Um, I don't know if they make SBF 700, you know, 1700 for me, but uh, no, you Florida people are nuts, so I love it. I'm glad to be here. Uh, hey, Chipley, glad you're with us too, and uh, Bluntstown, I know Dustin's on vacation, so uh, they sent the B team down there. So Paul, how you doing? Glad. <laughs> Glad to have you in Blunstown today. Um, uh, the topic we're talking about today, I, I, when Paul asked me to come down this weekend, I, I said, what's going on? He said, we're kind of between series, and uh, he said, you can do whatever you want. I'm like, oh, that's my, that's my favorite, so talk about whatever you want. I gave him four options of things that I've preached on before that I really enjoyed, and then I had a fifth option, and I said, I haven't written this one yet, but I have an idea, and so of course, Paul writes me back and goes, let's do the hard one you haven't written yet, so... I wrote a new talk for today, and I'm very excited, though, because I really, it's something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. Um, when, I, when I thought about how to kind of explain this principle um, to kind of get in, the thing that just cut coming back to mind was the, the process of labor and delivery for children, I, which is weird because I've never had one, but I've, I've been there four times and I actively participated in, like, the creation, but you know how this works. So I... <laughs> I like have been through this four times. We got four children, and like I vividly remember all of this. Now, I, if you've been through this process, you will appreciate. You'll understand this. If you haven't, you you know you've seen how this looks on TV and movies and stuff, right? So, like before you have a baby, right? Before you have a baby, um, it, it's safe to say that you are woefully underprepared for this. Now. When I say underprepared, I don't mean like underprepared for the taking this live human home and watching them like just keep you up for three months and all this, you know, not the sleeping and the going to the bathroom constantly and the eating and all that stuff. I mean, that's certainly, you're, un, you're not prepared for that, right? But it's the, the labor and delivery process, very unprepared. I mean, you, you can read all the books and, and, and watch like movies or, you know, try to take classes. We did all that and you can make a plan. But, but if you've ever been through the process, you know, like it doesn't matter how well you have thought through the plan, the plan isn't gonna be the plan. It reminds me of really maybe one of the greatest philosophers of all time uh, said this, Mike Tyson. He said that everyone, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's true, like labor and delivery is like a little small baby punch to the face, right? So I, when, when we were having our first child, like we're preparers, we're planners. And so, uh, you know, we're smart, we read. And so uh, we, we read all the books, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. Uh, they've sold like a billion of those, you know. Uh, we went to these birthing classes, which was terrifying uh, to be there for that. But I participated, you know, I learned how to do the breathing. And, you know, I wanted to be a good coach. I wanted to be a good partner in this whole thing, you know, even though it was like my fault in some ways that we were in this predicament. So I wanted to be like a, a good, you know, friend in this. Um, and so we, we wrote a plan up. But the reality is you read all the books, you make all your plans, and you do all the things, and you really don't, don't know what's going to happen. Really, what we typically assume is what we watch in TVs and in movies. I mean, that's how we assume labor and delivery is going to happen. And it's not anything like that. But what we assume is going to happen is this, right? We're going to be pregnant, and it's going to be very sweet, and you're going to walk around. I don't, again, I've never been pregnant. Um, I've been bigger before, so I understand kind of. But, you know, like you walk around holding your belly all the time, and other weird people touch you like they do touch your belly, which I always thought was weird. I'm like, I would never do that, you know? So don't do that, by the way. It's weird for the women. Um, you know, me, hashtag me too or whatever, all the things. So don't, don't do that. 
But it starts very sweet, you know? And, um, and then in the movies, you know how this goes. And so this is what you're preparing for, right? Like the, the, the wife, the woman walks out at some point and says, I think I'm having a contraction. And everything goes from kind of normal to just insanity. It's just chaos, right? Like hopefully you have your go bag already packed, but you're forgetting things. You're throwing stuff in suitcases. You're panicking. You get in the car. You, you've outlined multiple routes, but the minute you get in the car, crazy traffic. doesn't matter what time of day it is. I live in Atlanta. So I, you know, our trip to the hospital was going to be anywhere from 20 minutes to four hours. It just <laughs> depends on the time of the day. And so I'm, you know, mapped out 14 routes, depending on the exact hour that she's going into labor and the day. Friday's worse than Monday. I mean, all you got to know, all this stuff. And so I'm so prepared. I, I, I assume we're going to have the baby in the car because that's what happens in movies. I mean, a 50-50 shot, I'm delivering this kid on the side of the road, you know? So I put towels in the car because, again, we went to the birthing classes. I put a tarp or two, you know, just making sure. So... So we, we, we get, you know, you, you drive as fast as you can, hopefully you make it to the hospital, but the good news is you get to the hospital, the doctors are all sprinting, because they know it's, it's just like, this is going to happen any second, like you barely made it to the hospital, you know, and then after like 10 minutes, you know, then you've got this beautiful little baby, and it's all worth it, right? Now that, I know, oh, and this week, I picked the cutest picture I could find, so, um, not my kid, by the way, but very cute. Um, <laughs> Now, here's what we found out. Like, we, we did all the classes, we studied, we did all the things um, for our first kid. And, and we had a plan, we had a four-page plan, which we thought was very well thought through. Um, I think the doctors giggled when we gave it to them. They're like, oh, that's very sweet of you that you made a plan. Look at you, you know? So we got there, and I, I can't believe we even made it to the hospital, you know? Because, you know, you usually have these things in the car, but in the movies at least. And so we made it to the hospital, I'm thrilled. And here's what I didn't know. 23 hours later... We had a beautiful little girl, you know? It's like, wow, that really took a long time, you know? At the end of it, I told my wife, I was like, I don't know how that was for you, but that was, was kind of hard, you know? Um, I don't know if I can do that again. I mean, I'm tired. It's been a long day, you know? So it just took so long, you know? Now, now here's what's so interesting, and this kind of gets us to the principle, okay? Um, do, do you know why I planned so well? Do you know why we packed a go bag two months in advance? Do you know why we analyzed all the routes to the hospital? Do you know why we did three hospital visits to make sure we knew where to go, what to do? You know, do you know why we did all that? The reason is that life was imminent. Like literally, in this case, life was imminent, right? Imminent meaning that it was about to happen. That's what imminent means. Something is like on the cusp of happening. It's like urgent. It's just right on the edge of something happening. And, and when, when something is imminent, it always creates urgency. Imminency always creates urgency. I mean, so think about this. Anytime something is about to happen, it could be something really big or even something small, right? But when something is about to happen in your life, around your life, it creates this sense of urgency. Because when something's imminent, we don't just sit, we do something about it. You've, you've all been there before. I mean, think back to a time uh, in your life where something felt imminent. Maybe it was, you know, the birth of a child. Or maybe it was something as simple as, like, you know, shopping, right? Like, you, you got that email. I get these all the time. You got that email. And it was a $50 off email, but the coupon expires at midnight tonight. It's imminent, right? Now, you had to spend $500 to save the 50 but... You were going to save 50, so you, and you only had till midnight, so what did you do? Well, there's a sense of urgency. So you went to your spouse, and you said, I've got incredible news. I saved us $50 today. I spent 500 to get there, but I saved 50 you know, by, by doing it. 
Or, or maybe, maybe this happened to you at the doctor, right? You, you went to the doctor, and the doctor, this happens all the time, dudes, this is, this is us, guys. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, uh, hey, you know, you're a little bit overweight. That's the friendly way of saying, like, hey, start walking, you know? And so the doctor says, you should start walking some and stop eating cheeseburgers every day. And you're like, yeah, you know, okay, you know, whatever. Or the dentist, you know, are you going to start flossing? Oh, yeah, I don't even know what flossing is, but yeah, I'll definitely do that, you know, before I come back in 10 years. And so you, you, you go to the dentist, I mean, you go to the doctor, and he's like, have you been walking? No, you still eating cheeseburgers? Yeah, like for breakfast most days, you know. And he's like, well, you really need to stop, but it doesn't feel imminent, does it? Like, nothing feels imminent. Like, like, you look at your life and you're like, yeah, I mean, I could lose some weight, but, what, but who cares? I mean, you know, the cheeseburgers are good. You, you, nothing feels imminent. What would happen, though, if the doctor said, hey, do me a favor, um, pu- pull out your phone and just show me a picture of your family? And what happens, like, at, let's say he, he's examining your heart, right? And he does, like, a thing or whatever they do with the echo or whatever, and then they, they look at the, your, your picture, and the doctor says, hey, you see this woman here? If you don't start walking and stop eating cheeseburgers, within the next year, this woman is gonna call some other man her husband, and these three children are gonna call some other dude dad. Now it feels imminent, doesn't it? Like some of you are even mad right now, just even thinking about that. It feels imminent, and it, I guarantee you the next morning you'd start walking because it's urgent now. Something feels imminent. Uh, let me give you one more example. This is probably true for some of you, right? Maybe you really love eating like tacos at your favorite fast food place, right? You know when you do this, you always pick the booth closest to the restroom, and I'll tell you why. Because halfway through the meal, something's about to be real imminent and very urgent, right? I mean, this is how this works. Imminency always creates a sense of urgency, and it's a catalyst for action. Imminency always creates urgency, and urgency is a catalyst for action. None of us can feel a sense of urgency and just ignore it. This sense of urgency bubbles up in us and it causes us to do something. We we can't ignore it. And by the way, it's a principle that's a good principle. Maybe it's a God-given principle. I mean, humanity, we never would have made it if this wasn't true, right? I mean, imagine, you know, your really far back ancestors, you know, cavemen or whatever. It's like, hey, saber-toothed tiger's sprinting at us. I wonder if we can pet it. You know, like, you would never make it, you know? What would happen? The saber-toothed tiger's running at us. That feels imminent. Sense of urgency, let's act, let's go hide in the cave, right? So this is like a part of our life. Imminency always creates urgency and urgency always creates action. And it's not even true for just you, it's true for the people that you know. Again, if you're a parent, you, you're gonna appreciate this. If you have a parent, let's say you're a parent of like a uh, eighth grade you know, kid in school, right? Eighth grade kid in school. And they don't care about school, right? They, they don't care. And, and you keep telling them, you're like, you are so smart. If you would just put like this much effort into this, you would do so well. And they're like, and you know, sorry if you're an eighth grader, but you're not trying. You think you are and you're not. You know, I was in eighth grade. I thought I was trying to, and I wasn't. You know, I was goofing off the whole time. And so my parents would say, you know, if you would just try, you know, I go, I am trying. And I really wasn't trying at all. I don't know if I sounded like that or not. But, you know, I was like, wasn't really trying. But your parent knows something important because next year you're going to be in ninth grade, right? And I don't know if you know this or not, but in ninth grade, your grades start counting because there's this weird thing called GPA and colleges and all that care about it. And if you sleep through ninth grade and get C's through ninth grade, it doesn't matter how good you do your sophomore, junior, senior year, you're not going to Harvard anymore. Because you slept through ninth grade. Now, why did you sleep through ninth grade? You know GPAs matter, but you don't care. And I'll tell you why you don't care as a ninth grader. It doesn't feel imminent. When you're in ninth grade, the thought of a senior year feels like a lifetime away. If you're a parent, how far is it though? Like that. 
You know within like just, it's gonna feel like a blink of an eye they're gonna be a senior. And you know that something is imminent. And it should create a sense of urgency that should lead to action like not sleeping through class. But if you're a ninth grader, it doesn't feel urgent at all. That's actually really important. Because when we see somebody else facing something imminent, if they don't feel it's imminent, it bothers us. It creates a sense of urgency for them in us. And often we wanna act on their behalf or at least help them act because we know that it's urgent for them. But this, this kind of concept, this principle, we're in church, right? So let's kind of shift this to church for a minute. This principle is really so powerfully seen in the first century church that, that there was just this incredible sense of urgency in the first century church that really is probably unmatched since then. I mean, that was a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. But, but back in the first century, this, the, the, there was this like sense that these early Christians, they didn't call them that yet, but these followers of Jesus. And these churches are popping up everywhere, not just in Jerusalem, but all over the Mediterranean Rim, and they're kind of multi-siding or something like that back then. And, and the gatherings looked a little different, but it was just unstoppable back then. And I'll tell you why. They felt this incredible sense of urgency because they really believed that they were on a mission. They, they, they kind of like the Blues Brothers, a mission from God. Like they felt like they were on a real mission from God. And they were. They, they were on a mission that we've called the Great Commission. Now, you, you've seen mission statements before. Like you, you've heard of that. You, you probably work at a place that has a mission statement. It's like written on the wall or something like that. And, and you know, mission statements are, they're usually very flowery language, a bunch of adjectives, and you can't remember it. And even if you could, it doesn't mean anything really. It's just like sweet statement, but not this one. The, the mission statement that these guys were operating out of was like more of a, a military mission statement. I mean, it was really practical, really tactical, very clear. And it had very uh, clear consequences associated to it. And they kind of felt like they were almost in an army, like the Lord's army or something. They felt like this mission was so important that they were going to do anything and everything they could to make sure it is accomplished. And the mission is the Great Commission. Jesus gave it to these disciples and all of his followers right before he ascended back to heaven. Uh, if you know the whole story, you know, Jesus uh, dies and he comes back to life three days later. And he spends about 40 days hanging out with all of these hundreds of people hung out with him after he came back to life, you know. And then he goes back to heaven. But right before he does, right before he goes back home, he says, here's the mission for you now that I'm leaving. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you a charge. And here's what he tells him. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That, that, that was the mission. The Great Commission was the mission. And the reason he gave this Great Commission mission to all of these early followers of Christianity was because Jesus knew like we do, that in this world, there's gonna be hard times. There's gonna be struggles. And he knew that a relationship with him is the only way to navigate those struggles well. Jesus, Jesus knew that eternity was a real thing. He knew that a relationship with him mattered. He, he knew that in the end, it's the only relationship that's actually gonna matter. At the end of your life, it's the only relationship that's gonna matter. Having a right standing with God through that relationship with him, he understood the significance of it. And so he gave them this mission, not because he needed to give them some busy work, but because life was imminent. It was important, it was urgent. And you know what? They believed it. They really believed him. And so that's what they did. And, and you know what happened? It, it really worked. 
I mean, the church in the first century was unstoppable. Uh, it was just exploding, and, and, and for good reason, but it was just exploding. And you know why? It's because the disciples, these early followers, they really believed, they felt that spreading the gospel was urgent because they believed that Jesus' return was imminent. There was a feeling of imminency that was driving a sense of urgency. I mean, it, it's kind of funny to think about it in a way for us now, but back then, when Jesus said, and surely I will be with you always and I will come back, they were like, so cool, like Monday? Like you're coming Monday, right? If you know the story in Acts, Jesus goes back to heaven and he, like, he goes you know, up and, and, and all the people are looking in the sky and they're like, just hold on, he's coming back. Like three, two, and eventually God goes, hey, stop standing around, go accomplish the mission. And they're like, oh, okay, you know? And then they go and start working, but they lived with this sense of urgency this imminency, Jesus is coming back, and here's what they wanted to do. They thought it was so important that everybody meet Jesus that they were going to do everything they could possibly do with every hour of their day to introduce as many people to Jesus as they possibly could before Monday because he's coming back. And, and then Monday passed, and, and he didn't, and they were like, well, it's probably next Monday or maybe Friday, you know, you know TGIF, you know, like exciting, you know. <laughs> and he didn't come back on Friday. Then he didn't come back the next Monday, you know. And it's kind of challenging, isn't it, to kind of keep the fire and the passion around imminency when imminency doesn't feel imminent anymore, you know? So day after day kind of passes, decade after decade, and the return of Jesus didn't happen. And so about 30 years later, about 30 years later, it seems like this imminency is beginning to wane. It seems like that people are getting a little lackadaisical and kind of complacent, and maybe the sense of urgency isn't there anymore. And so this author, we don't know who wrote it, but wrote a letter called Hebrews. We labeled it that. He wrote it to these Jewish Christians. And in this letter that he wrote to the Hebrew Christians, this is about 30 years after Jesus you know, left the planet. He, he writes, he or she writes and, 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 and says something that's so interesting and so, I think, important for us today. He says, and let us consider how, may, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now, quick pause. Um, we have used this, pastors have used this out of context so many times, you know, because uh, we're like, hey, don't get bad habits, you know, like don't get a fever, come to church, you know, like that's not what the author is talking about, right? But apparently 30 years later, there was some complacency setting in. It was almost like they, they were gathering consistently and on some level, some of them just kind of fell away from it, you know? And, and maybe it's because they were expecting Jesus to show back up and he just wasn't, I mean, at some point, it's like you like the little boy who cried, Jesus is coming and he's not coming. So I don't know why they fell away, but they just kind of stopped. But, but do you know why this is important? Do you know why gathering together is so important? We're gonna talk more about it in a second. But the reason gathering together is so important is because we're on a mission, and it's really challenging to stay on mission when you're never around the people you're in the mission with. Uh, imagine, imagine if you were like uh, in, the, in the military. I haven't done this before, but, but if you have, you'll, you probably could explain it better. But let's say that there's like a commander and he gives all of the soldiers uh, a marching order. There's a command, you know, and, and he says, oh, in a year, we're going to go do something significant. You know, here's the, here's the plan, right? Now, what would happen if you never gathered together for a year? And then you try to accomplish it. You'd have no chance. Gathering together is important because it keeps us on mission. I mean, it does something for you, for sure. Helps grow your faith, sure. But it's bigger than that. 
gathering together as a group in a local church, gathering together consistently is what helps keep us on mission. That's why it's so important. But then look at how kind of the author summarizes it. This is the part we don't ever talk about as much. He says, and then, and then all the more as you see the day approaching. And notice day, D, capital D. The day approaching is the day of Jesus' return. Here, here's basically what the author is, is telling these people. He's saying, hey, Jesus followers, Christians, don't give up meeting together just because Jesus hasn't come back yet and you were expecting it last week and now you're getting a little bored waiting and you're like, ah, whatever, it's all, you know, I'll just do something else this week. I'll go to the lake and who cares, you know. Uh, that's not, he's like, don't do that. You don't give up meeting together just because it doesn't feel imminent to you right now. Because it is imminent, by the way. We don't know when it's gonna happen, but it is very imminent. And we need to share the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. We need to spread it as best we can to everybody we can because while we don't know when Jesus is coming back, we want everyone to know about the story of Jesus. And we're gonna gather together to remind us of how important this mission is. We're gonna gather together every week so that we can be on mission and we can stay on mission. And they couldn't be deterred. When this first started, I mean, this is so important, right, to the, in, in the Christian faith. When, when, when the Jesus followers felt this real passion to share the gospel with every single person they met, right, it could not be deterred. But when they lost some of that imminency, when they lost some of that urgency, things changed dramatically. I think this is why when we read the book of Acts, it's the actions of the apostles, the disciples. It's like the launching of the first century church. We read these stories of these people just doing the most bold things, I mean, they, they would share Jesus and be arrested. And they would say, if you would just stop talking about Jesus, you can quit going to jail. And they would go, nope, I'm not gonna stop. <laughs> they, would, they would beat people and say, just stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, nope, thank you, can I have another? Because I'm not gonna stop. They, they were being killed and executed because of their faith and, and, and their you know, uh, uh, constant sharing about Jesus. And they still wouldn't stop. Did you know that every disciple... Every single one of the disciples, until their dying breath, would not stop talking about Jesus and spreading the news of what God had done in their generation and for them in their lifetime. They all died because of it, and they wouldn't stop talking about it. Uh, you think about that, <laughs> and, and you think about how undeterred they were. Why? Why were they so bold? Why were they so passionate? Well, I, I kind of think there were two reasons back then. 2,000 years ago, two reasons they wouldn't shut up about it. First one is that they just believed that one more day living without a relationship with Jesus was one day too many. They literally believed that. That, that one more day living without a relationship with Jesus is just one day too many. And then they also believed this though. They believed that, there's missing here, but, but soon that, that everyone needed to meet him before he returned. They, they believed that Jesus was gonna come back at some point soon. They believed that he was gonna be there soon. And, 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 and they believed that if it's gonna to be tomorrow, Monday, next Monday, next month, next year, it doesn't matter. Everybody needs to meet him before he gets back because the relationship with him is all that matters. Remember how we said earlier that imminency creates urgency and urgency is a catalyst for action? Remember we said that? Well, they felt that. They felt that it was imminent and urgent that they share Jesus with everybody. Now, it's been 2,000 years, right? It's been 2,000 years. It's kind of hard to keep that passion and that urgency 
It was hard for them over 30 years. And now it's been 2,000 years. I, I mean, can you, can you remember the last time you woke up in the morning and you thought, I need to do something in light of Jesus coming back today? I, I need to do something in light of the fact that Jesus' return is imminent. We don't think that anymore, right? We, we don't think that at all. And you know why? It's because it doesn't feel imminent. It doesn't feel like Jesus is coming back soon. I mean, really, if, if nothing is imminent, nothing is urgent. And there's really little need to do anything. If nothing feels imminent, nothing's really urgent, and why would we do anything? You know, in a way, welcome to modern Christianity. And, and I get it. I totally get it. It's been 2,000 years. Nothing really feels imminent. Life is so in our face and the day-to-day stuff, you know? But, but because of that, we've just gotten off mission. We've just become lackadaisical in some ways. We just don't seem to care as much. It's almost like we, we took the, the, the great commission, the mission, and we've, we've in a way turned it into the, the great suggestion. It's like we, we say, you know, like, like when it's convenient, like when it works in your calendar, in your schedule, go and make disciples. I mean, if you have time or if you like them or if you feel confident that they're not gonna ask you anything difficult, you know? And you should baptize them and teach them to obey the things that you feel should be obeyed, but, but you can leave out, you know, whatever is too difficult or doesn't work for you. You do you, boo, like it's cool, you know? But, but no worries, I'm gonna be with you, you know, even when you're not on mission. So it's cool. I mean, this is kind of how we think about it today, isn't it? Like, we don't prioritize it. We, we don't prioritize the mission. And the reason, partially, is because we don't gather as frequently as we probably should individually, and it just doesn't feel imminent. If it doesn't feel imminent, it doesn't feel urgent. If it doesn't feel urgent, we don't really act. And listen, I mean, I, I totally get it, you know? I, I totally get it. And the reality is that Jesus may return tomorrow. We don't know, right? We have no idea when he's gonna come back. Paul said this, the Apostle Paul said this, it's beautiful, he said, for, for uh, you, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, meaning that you're not gonna be prepared. Like no thief knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm here to rob you, can I come in? Like it's always gonna be like when it's unexpected and that's what is gonna happen. I mean, one moment, could be in the next minute, I don't know, Jesus is gonna appear and everything's gonna change dramatically. But we don't feel that imminency, do we? We we don't really feel that urgency, which kind of creates the current problem for us. But but here's what I think we may have missed. While like living with the sense of Jesus' return might be challenging, and I get it, there's a different kind of urgency that we might need to feel. And the reason is because there's a different version of imminency that we may be missing there, there, there should probably be a version of urgency and a, ver, a, a passion for sharing the message of Jesus that just is a little different than maybe about Jesus' return. Um, and here's, here's why I know. Because even though we don't know when Jesus is gonna come back, there is a version of imminency still happening in lives. For instance, um, you probably know somebody you probably know somebody in your life, maybe a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, I don't know who it is, right? But you probably know somebody who has a marriage that's about to crumble. And, and maybe they don't even know it. And you don't know what's about to, but it is imminent. Their marriage problems are imminent. It's gonna happen soon. You, you probably know someone who has a child that's about to make a really horrible decision. It's imminent. You probably know someone who's about to receive a really terrifying and life-altering health diagnosis. And they haven't received it yet, 
But maybe it's happening tomorrow, or maybe it's next week. We don't know. But it's imminent that it's going to happen. You probably know someone who's about to lose their job. You, you might know someone who's about to lose a friend, or lose a parent, or maybe lose a spouse, or lose a child. It's imminent. You might know someone who's made a plan to take their life. It's imminent. Life is imminent. Therefore, a relationship with Jesus should feel so urgent for us. Because you know that's why this church exists? This church exists because life is imminent. And a relationship with Jesus is all that matters. But the mission of RCC is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. But any mission without a sense of urgency and action always falls apart. And it's ineffective. Any, any mission that's based on complacency never accomplishes anything. Now, certainly there's a personal component to the Great Commission, but in this mission, there's a collective thing that we've been called to do as a local church. And for those of you that are uh, believers and RCC is your church, the rest of this is for you. If you're not a Christian, not a church person, or you're visiting, you know, RCC isn't your place, this isn't for you. But I hope one day this could be your place, or you can find a church where this can become a reality for you. Because a great local church really should serve as a co-pilot in the Great Commission for you. And that's really what RCC is. RCC is a Great Commission co-pilot for you, which means that when you partner with RCC, you are on mission, and you can accomplish the Great Commission collectively, together, because none of us can do it by ourselves, but together, on mission, it's so powerful. That There really are five things that, that you should do. I'm gonna go through each of them pretty quickly, but there are five things that you should do to be engaged and be a part of a local church like this. If you wanna be on mission to help accomplish the Great Commission, here are the five things that you should do. The first one is you should attend. Why? Because of what I said earlier. You should prioritize being in the building of a church. And I'll tell you why again. Because it's what keeps you on mission. Listen, you can't skip three or four weeks and continue to be on mission. You just can't. You're gonna, the, the passion's gonna wane. The excitement's gonna wane. Other things are gonna come, become a priority. And I don't mean that like through shame and guilt, like you better be in church. You're not getting extra gold stars in heaven for being in church, but you may overpopulate heaven by being in church. Because the more you are in the building, this is so important, the better you will stay on mission and the better God can use the mission in the community that you're in. So just like the author of Hebrews said, for some of us, we have neglected that. Don't come back more frequently because you feel guilty. Come back more frequently because you wanna remain on mission. It's that important. But there's another reason, and it's very closely tied to this. You should invite people. And it's really hard to invite people to church when you are sleeping in. I mean, right? Like, it's really challenging to say, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. Now, I'm not going. I have other priorities, but let me know how it goes. And then if it works, maybe you'll come back, you know? I mean, again, I probably won't be there, but, you know? Now, I, listen, I, I, I joke about that. Like, if you have a fever, stay home, okay? Like, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't take vacations. That's not what I mean. But what I am suggesting is that you prioritize being here and bringing other people with you. Again, if you're a guest, I hope this doesn't feel weird to you, but RCC is designed with you in mind. Everything we do at these churches are designed so that you can invite people with you. They can walk in and they can say, 
I don't know if I believed everything, but I really liked those people and that was helpful and I think I wanna come back. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Like we're gonna do as a staff, we're gonna do all the hard work of creating it for you. You have to do the relational work of inviting people to sit with you. And there are people in your life right now and life is imminent for them. And you need to invite them. You need to do everything you can to get them here and engage relationally with them through the process. Third thing you need to do, you need to connect. That's why we have community groups and small groups. Now granted, being in a small group is good for you. It benefits you, but it's bigger than you, by the way. The reason that you need to be in a circle, not just a row, is because someone else in that circle needs you there. Listen, I have been in community groups for probably 25 years at this point, I bet. I can't think of a single small group that I have ever been in that didn't benefit me. And I can't think of a small group where God didn't use me and my wife for the benefit of someone else. You know why? Life is imminent, that's why. You're gonna be in a small group for, with a group of people for a year, year and a half, and sometime during that span, somebody is gonna experience an imminent moment in life. And they're gonna need you there. And you're gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment. That's why you should be in a group. You do it for others. And granted, you're gonna benefit too. But that's why you do it, because life is imminent. Two more, and they're pretty obvious. The first one, give. Now, here's the best part of me to talk about. I'm gonna talk about this for a minute, and here's the best part of me talking about it is it doesn't benefit me at all. Okay, like I know some of you are like, oh, the pastor's talking about giving. Well, I don't work here, so I'll just tell you the truth about it, okay? You should give, and here's why. Two reasons, one's personal, right? If you wanna experience peace financially, open your hands and start giving it away. It's just the best way to be peaceful in your financial world. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but most things about following Jesus are counterintuitive. They don't obviously make sense, but they work. And you know this, right? Because if you wanna be financially peaceful, how many of you, you know, got a little bit more money, got a little bit of a promotion, and you thought, oh, cool, like I'm at peace now? You've never felt that right? I mean, mo' money, mo' problems, right? I mean, so getting more money is never the solution to financial peace. It just doesn't work. You know what is? Opening your hands to God. The more you give away, the more at peace you're going to feel because the more you recognize it's not yours anyway. It's God's. But it's bigger than that. Do you know why, you know why all of you need to have a plan to give to RCC? Because RCC is going to do everything in its power to reach every single person in this community, and the more funding they have, the better they can do it. That's why you should give. Every time there's an opportunity for ministry, we wanna be able to fund it. We don't ever wanna have an opportunity that comes by and we go, gosh, if we just had the money, we would take care of that. Can you imagine what would happen in a local church if everybody had a plan to give? Not even tithe, not even using churchy terms. Like if you just had any kind of version of a plan and you just prioritize generosity to your local church, it would change a whole community. If this, this church could solve every problem in the community if there was enough funding to do that. That's why you should give, because there's a mission to accomplish and the mission takes money. You should give to make sure the mission comes to fruition. And here's the last one, you should serve. You should serve at the local church. And I think you should serve around the world. That's always fun to do that. I've done that so many times. It's awesome, great experiences. You should serve in the community, but listen, don't do those things if you're not gonna serve in the local church first. Because the local church is God's plan A and it's the hope of the world. And when you serve in a local church, you are helping create an environment for people who are experiencing the imminency of life. And, and, and this may be true of you today. Somebody in this, in this room in Chipley and Bluntstown, somebody may have walked in today and they've experienced some of those imminent moments and they are giving God and the church one more chance. 
And, and when they're greeted in the parking lot, it makes a difference. When, when we open doors and smile as they walk in, welcome them. Do you know what a guest is wondering when they walk in? They're, they're wondering, do I like these people? And more importantly, do these people like me? That's what they're wondering. We get to create that welcoming experience for guests when you serve. When a parent drops a child off, you know what they're thinking? <laughs> they're thinking, I hope they're gonna be safe. That's what they're only thinking in the beginning. The more volunteers we have back there, the safer it's gonna be. The more volunteers we have in children and student ministry, the better we will be able to engage them in spiritual conversations so they can have a faith of their own. You should all serve in your local church because the mission matters that much. Now, if you've been here for like a week or two, I totally get it. Like, you don't jump in today, but you should get involved at some point because it's that important. The mission is that important. I don't know if you've ever considered how imminent and urgent it can be in a local church, but I'm telling you, I've been a pastor for so long. I have watched these things play out in some of the most powerful ways. I could tell you hours and hours, I won't, but hours of stories of how this has worked. Um, let me just tell you one quick one. Some of my best friends back home in, in, in Atlanta, um, uh, Darren and Jenny Starr. Um, Darren and Jenny Starr started volunteering at the church that I was a pastor at um, with three-year-olds in Wombaland. And so they agreed, they weren't like super excited, but they were, you know, about to have a kid and they were like, well, we should at least see some other three-year-olds first, that'll help us. And so honestly, if you've never had children or if you have children, volunteer with children who are a little ahead of yours and you can learn what not to do. It's really smart, actually, it's strategic. So, so Darren and Jenny start volunteering with these three-year-olds. At the end of the year, at the end of the three-year-old year, uh, the, the, the staff in Wombaland asked the stars, hey, would you guys mind moving to the four-year-old room? Because all of the parents of these children are like begging us for you to move up because these kids love you so much, man. And imagine being three and you show up to church every week and there's Miss Jenny, there's Mr. Darren. I mean, there's a relationship there, you know? And so they said, sure. They moved up to be four-year-old leaders. And of course, at the end of the year, you know, hey, you guys want to move to Upstreet and be kindergarten leaders with this same group, you know? I was one of the parents. I was very excited. My youngest daughter was in that group with them. And so they moved up to be kindergarten leaders and then first grade leaders and then second grade leaders. And they've been with this group of kids for five years now. And in second grade, um, something imminent happened. There was a sweet little girl named Hannah, one of the second grade students. And... Um, they, they had been in our church for a long time. Um, Sunday afternoon after church, um, they were on the way home and um, Hannah's mother had an aneurysm and um, rushed to the hospital. And uh, of course, husband called me immediately. I went to the hospital and, um, you know, it was kind of touch and go. You know how these things are, right? Um, but after about two and a half days, she passed away. Hannah lost her mom. And so they asked me if I would do the funeral. And of course I agreed. It's such an honor to do that. And, and so the day of the funeral arrives and um, if you've ever been a part of this, um, there's always a family room that's off to the side. And so the family's gathered and the people like me, pastors are in there. And so I'm in the family room with them and you know, we're praying and just talking. There's always a little food and we're just kind of waiting for the service to start. And, and I looked around and I couldn't find Hannah. Like I didn't see Hannah anywhere. And, you know, I thought, well, I mean, she's only in second grade. Maybe she's out somewhere or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's heavy, man. It's heavy, you know. And, and eventually, I, I do see her. She's in the corner of the room sitting under a table. And I assume because it's just too heavy. It's just too much, man. And so I walk over there and I lean down and I wave at her. And she says, hey. And, um, you know, and, but I mean, what do you say, you know, to a second grader, you know? 
So I kind of got out and I just was praying, was like, gosh, I don't even know what to do with this. And, and like literally within a, within a second of me starting to pray, I feel like I hear a knock on the door of the family room and I go open it. You know who it is? It's Darren and Jenny Starr. And, and Darren and Jenny walk in and the husband sees them and you know, gives them a hug and, and then Hannah sees them. And Hannah crawls out from under the table and sprints to Darren and Jenny and jumps in their arms. I will never forget it. Darren hugging this sweet little second grader and spinning her around and Jenny is tickling her. It's the first time I've seen this kid smile in a long time. And I thought, there it is. Life is imminent. And we don't know when it's gonna happen. For some of us, it may happen this afternoon. For some of us, it may happen tomorrow. We don't know. And there's people who are walking in here every day who are walking through that. If we wanna be a church on mission, we're gonna prioritize these things. Because life is too imminent to have one more day lived without Jesus. In fact, I mean, let me just ask you, like, how many days? How many days is too many to live without Jesus? And, and don't just answer it for you personally. Like, how many days is too many days for your friends, for your family members, for your coworkers, for the people in this community? How many days is too many days to live without Jesus? I'd say one. One more day is too many days. We should prioritize the mission and do everything we can to ensure that every single person has a relationship with him. And, and you know what? <laughs> if you were to say, well, well when are we done? Uh, it's a pretty easy answer. Our mission is to lead everybody into a relationship with Jesus. And so you know what we wanna do? We, we wanna just ensure that every single person within reach is reached. That's what we're trying to do. We just wanna make sure that every single person within reach gets reached. And it's really up to you. It's up to us to make sure we do that. There's a personal component to it, but there's a corporate collective component. And those five things are how we stay on mission. I'd love to see that happen here. I think you would love to see that happen here. So I think the real question is, what are you gonna do about it? How are you gonna do that? If you wanna have a conversation today about taking some of those steps or you just have some questions about it, just go to the gallery. Uh, we have some great staff and volunteers. They'd love to talk to you there, of course. And then next week, by the way, we're starting a brand new series on how to navigate your faith. And we're gonna create a new starting point for people. And you know how this works, right? There are so many, maybe this is your story. So many people, so many people grew up in a church or grew up with faith and that a childish faith that adult, bumped into an adult-sized problem and the childlike faith fell apart because it wasn't enough for the adult problems. So we're gonna start a series next week on that. I guarantee you, you know people who need to hear that content, who need to hear that idea. You should bring them next week. That should be a part of joining the mission. So with that said, let me pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you for Darren and Jenny. I, I, I mean, as a father, I want to thank you for them. My 15-year-old my daughter, who's a sophomore, is still in Miss Jenny's group. And, and, and her life has been good compared to others. But Father, she loves Miss Jenny, and they have such great conversations. And I'm so grateful for people like them. And there are hundreds of people like that that have been a part of our life, part of our family's life. And God, I pray that we will be those people for others too. I pray that we won't have kind of a selfish, insulated view of faith, that we will see faith as an opportunity to lean in the direction of others, that we will prioritize everyone else in this community, Father, while we're here on this temporal earth so that we can do everything in our power to ensure every single person within reach gets reached, Father. So God, I just pray that you will build up some urgency in our hearts around that and allow us to feel the passion to do with that what we could, Father. 
We love you. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, again, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having me today, and uh, I look forward to seeing you next time, too. Thanks so much.